Hello, 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 and welcome to Dismantle Racism with the Reverend Dr. TLC. And I am your host, Reverend Dr. TLC. And today we are going to be talking about shopping while Black and Brown. But as always, I like to start the show out by having us just to breathe, because we know that when we talk about race and racism, it often creates tension and we don't want it to be so for folks. We want to be able to enter into this conversation, being able to receive all that there is to be heard on this show today and to be experienced. So I invite you just for the moment to take a deep breath in and breathe in awareness and breathe out unconsciousness. Breathe in acceptance and breathe out bias and racial prejudices. Breathe in curiosity and breathe out fear of the other. Breathe in light and love for all. And breathe out anything that would keep you from the human connection. Let's get started with today. I am so excited uh, to have today's guest on, Dr. Michelle Dunlap, who is here to talk to us today really about shopping while Black and Brown. As you know, that there are numerous, numerous videos that uh, capture Black and brown folks being treated in a way that's less than humane when all they're simply trying to do is shop. We know that uh, Black and brown folks are often followed around in a store. They are accused of stealing uh, even when they are walking with their own purchase uh, in a store. There are multiple incidents of racism that occur when Black and brown folks are shopping. So today's guest, Dr. Michelle Dunlap, is going to be sharing with us her experience and uh, her interviews that she's done with uh, 19 different individuals, I believe. She has a book entitled Retail Racism, Shopping While Black and Brown in America. And I can't wait to hear about Dr. Dunlap's experience during the interviews and telling us what she's found. But just to tell you a little bit about Dr. Dunlap, she is a professor at Connecticut College in the Human Development Department, and she's been a professor since 1994. She is author or co-editor of more than 40 journals, articles, book chapters, essays, and all of these topics deal with cultural competency and family and community engagement, service learning, multicultural issues and diversity, and racial identity development. Now, we could be here all day talking with her about any one of these issues that she is an expert in. She is a brilliant, brilliant woman, and she is an extraordinary human, always giving back to society. So I am delighted, delighted today to have as my guest, Dr. Michelle Dunlap. Dr. Dunlap, welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. I I think you have to unmute yourself. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, everyone. So happy to be here. It's such an honor, Dr. Terrell. 
Dr. So, Carol Currier. <laughs> so Dr. Dunlap, what I'd love to do, I know that when we talk about dismantling racism, the work of dismantling racism is often not easy, even though we want to engage in this conversation and we want to to see talking about race as a positive thing, but racism itself is not. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we grow weary and you've been doing this work since 1994. So talk to me a little bit about what helps to ground you in this work of dismantling racism and helping other folks understand multicultural issues. Well, first of all, I would say I've been doing this work since before 1994. Um, So just to clarify, um, even though my career at Connecticut College started in 94, when you're born a BIPOC person in this society, your work begins even while you're still in the womb. The burden, the costs of that, the inequities can impact you even while you're in the womb. And then, of course, uh, during college and working on a master's degree, and then for my PhD, my dissertation, the focus was on um, on these issues of race and racism as well. So um, how do you stay grounded when you're doing this work? And that's not an easy thing to do, as you know, because you also have dedicated your life to this work. And sometimes I look at you, Dr. Curry Avery, um, because I've known you for many years, and I wonder how does she keep up the energy to do what she does? When you do this kind of work, you have to be sure that you pace it out, as you know, You have to pace it out in a way that does not sap all of your energy, that does not make you sick, um, physically ill or emotionally ill. So you have to pace it out and you have to make sure that you engage in self-care because when you're dealing with issues of inequity, oftentimes you're dealing with issues that have taken hundreds of years, maybe thousands of years to be put into place. And they're not going to be dismantled overnight. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so it is work that can be frustrating. It's work that can be disheartening. It's work where you as the person who's trying to do the facilitating of it you can become an easy target of the angst and the upsetment that others might feel about it. And so for that reason, um, self-care is extremely important. So for me, that will include my spiritual life, my sister circles, um, which I take very seriously, Mm -hmm. um, that that fellowshipping with those who are who I am very close to, um, family relationships, um, my children, um, my my community. Thank goodness I work with colleagues who I really love and appreciate, who we really respect one another. Um, so my my work community. Um, being able to bounce things off of some of my colleagues and being able to get support from them at times and to be able to give that support as well. So there's a lot of other things I could say, but it's not any one thing. 
Um, but spirituality would be the biggest thing, mm-hmm. uh, being, being able to trust in, for me, it's God, um, but not, not feeling like all of this is, um, all of this work that I'm doing, I'm doing the work. No, yeah. God is empowering me and helping me to do this work and in, inspiring me to do this work and also telling me how and when I need to take care of myself. Mm, That is so beautiful. It's so beautiful that, you know, it seems to be a running theme with with those of us who do this work first and foremost is is to have something bigger than ourselves that really helped to ground us in this work. And then also just reiterating what you're saying, because I think it's so important for our listening audience to know that self-care is critical in this work and really being able to know when to say the word no, Mm -hmm. because we can't do everything that we're called to do. Right. And so when I hear you talk about the self-care, it it is really being able to discern Mm -hmm. which battles, so to speak, that we will fight because the thing that I find, and, and I'm sure you find this as well, because you're so community oriented is that, People will pull from you from all different directions, just wanting a piece of your time because they know that you do this work. Mm-hmm. And, um, oh, go ahead. Speak to that. No, no, at, you're, you're absolutely right. And it happens to um, any person who's, who's equipped in some way to do this work, but especially for BIPOC, people of color. Um, and especially African-American and indigenous people who are equipped to do this work. You're right. We get pulled in every different direction. And um, I'm, I'm going to say this, and I hope this doesn't offend anyone. I personally don't mind being pulled in every direction from entities, organizations, people who have no resources. But it bothers me when organizations who have resources, want to pull at people who do this work and expect us to do it for free. Oh, that is so critical. Expect us to, you you know, the extra work that it takes. And like I said, us becoming a target of the upsetment oftentimes and the energy and the drain to our energy. And some people who have even been offended because we might not want to be at everybody's beck and call is if we are supposed to solve all of the problems that got created over a um, th- these problems that that got created or, or or were created over a period of hundreds and thousands of years, we're supposed to somehow come in there and fix it and fix it for free. We're supposed to sacrifice ourselves. Mm. And so I have had situations where I've experienced anger from people who think that I'm supposed to spend every waking moment um, trying to do this work and do it for free. And I want to have quality time with my children. Mm-hmm. And um, I want to have you, you know, time to take care of myself. I want to have time to really be a good educator to my students and mm-hmm. so forth. And I I didn't have the language for explaining that early on. I just felt the anger and then I felt kind of upset with myself, like, oh, maybe I should have done this or maybe I should have done that. But 
when you um, engage with other people who are doing this work like yourself, you begin to find the language and you begin to find ways of saying, um, what are you going to sacrifice for this work to get done? Right. And Dr. Dunlap, we're going to we're going to need to take a a really quick break in just a minute. But you are saying some really critical things, because one of the things that you're really touching upon is folks with resources, since you make a distinction between those with resources and those without need to value the work that we do, because there is an emotional cost to black indigenous people of color when we do this work. And it's very different sometimes when we are with with other BIPOC people and we can share in the work that we're doing. At the same time that we're doing the work, we're also being upheld emotionally by those other people of color. But sometimes when we're in different experiences, Mm -hmm. it is an emotional, uh, it takes an emotional toll on us to do this work. And to not be valued for doing it, that's an additional toll that it takes on us. We're going to be right back, though, with Dr. Michelle Dunlap, and we're going to be discussing retail racism in our next section. I'd love, love, love to hear about your work that you're doing. We'll be right back with Dismantle Racism with the Reverend Dr. TLC. Have you ever thought of reinventing yourself? Are you looking to create a new life's journey? Hi, I'm Kevin Barbaro, host of Coffee Talk XL every Tuesday night, 5, 8 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live to hear me and my guests from a variety of different backgrounds. As a former college coach and a current full-time actor and owner of multiple companies, my show is as eclectic as my life. That's Coffee Talk XL every Tuesday night, 8 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you interested in having a better relationship with yourself, others, and God? Greetings. I'm your host, Dr. George Andow, for the show, A Journey Through Into Awareness. On my show, we journey into the awareness that the mind of God is the true seat of our personal consciousness. We join together each Monday at 7 p.m., so tune in on Talk Radio NYC. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. We are back with Dismantle Racism. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. Today's guest 
is Dr. Michelle Dunlap. Dr. Dunlap, before the break, you made a statement about having done this work uh, since the womb, basically, that, that we are faced with really racism before we ever enter this, this earthly realm. I'd love for you just to say a little bit more about that. I know what you're speaking to, but it struck me when you said it that some of our listeners might say, well, what do you mean? We're all just born as babies. So if you could just give us a maybe a 30 second synopsis of what you mean, and then we'll go into really talking about your book. Okay, so systemic uh, racism and, and inequities that have been carried down uh, from generation to generation that have kept the rich, rich, the poor, poor, that have kept disproportionate numbers of, of people of color, um, especially African-Americans and indigenous people here in the United States that have kept us disproportionately in poverty, um, have kept us from being able to own homes, to live in healthy environments, to um, be able to have adequate health care, that have kept us from being able to buy the healthiest food in um, uh, uh, from stores that are accessible to us, that have kept us from having transportation and so forth. I could go on and on. Those things in also impact the developing fetus in the womb. Mm-hmm. Also the daily stresses of racism, the um, emitting of cortisol into our bloodstream. Um, All of that impacts not only the uh, carrier of the fetus, but also the fetus itself. So, um, and so many other things. I mean, we're talking about a course that could go on for a whole year, just Mm -hmm. talking about all of those aspects. Well, and actually as a professor, that is, that is what you do. You really break it down to your (laughs) students. (laughs) That is what I do. That yes. Is I do. And, and, and really, I just want to encourage people. I mean, it's phenomenal, the work that you do and the writings that you're done, do, that you've done. We're going to talk about retail racism, but Dr. Dunlap has a number of articles out there that I would encourage you to just pull up and to read because she really will, uh, she gets in depth with talking about racism and multicultural experiences and just the developmental process itself. And so it's so important to be informed about these things. Racism isn't just the visible things that we see, you know, when we see these overt acts, there are also these things that happen to us daily that we're not even conscious of. But I wanna talk because I know our time will, will go by really quickly here. So given your expertise in the area of multiculturalism and racism, what led you to focus on retail racism? Okay. So first of all, I'll say that when I went to graduate school, I was very much interested in in consumer behavior and, and consumer issues. When I entered the social psychology program at the University of Florida, one of the attractions to it was the fact that you could specialize in consumer behavior. I was very interested in consumer behavior. But when I began to realize that 
At that time, um, in the late 80s, early 90s, the study of consumer behavior, at least the way I began to perceive it, was that it was about finding ways to get people to spend their money. And for me, that felt like finding ways to exploit Black and brown people. Mm. So I began to lose some of my passion for consumer behavior because I began to think of, of, of marketing and consumer behavior and nothing to do with the program that I was in. Just that is what capitalism is all about. It's yeah. about getting people to spend money and oftentimes getting people to spend money that they don't have. So I kind of, I, I did get a master's degree in social psychology with an emphasis in consumer behavior. My master's thesis was on consumer behavior. But then I started shifting after my master's degree more to intergroup relations and prejudice and racism specifically. So, um, so really, this work is not really an academic work growing out of an academic passion or interest, this is truly a passion of the heart. Mm -hmm. And the way that it began, what made me turn my attention back to this area was an incident that happened when I was with a young loved one, a family member. Um, We were at the mall about 25 years ago, long time ago. But an incident happened at the mall um, where I saw a child being treated like a grown person, a child who had made a mistake and done something that they should not have done, an eight-year-old child um, who had taken something and to see the response of the mall, the Mm. manager, the security Next thing you know, the police, the state Uh troopers, um, all of these people were involved in order to address this child in this $1 pack or $2 pack of, 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 of the item that they had taken, um, while their parent was right there nearby. Um, Mm -hmm. so, um, or, or maybe not their parent, but their caregiver. And so um, that really stuck with me to see, um, to see how a society would treat an innocent child, mm-hmm. to see the, 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 the fear in that child, how that child, they, their, their, spirit, their persona seem to move out of their body. They seem not to even be present. They seem Mm -hmm. so traumatized. Um, The uh, caregiver's reaction, um, it it, it was just astounding to see this child being processed into the criminal justice system at such a young age. And it was a situation that I could never really let go of. Mm-hmm. and or um yes of which I could never let go how am I going to speak today mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to speak the king's English or am I going to speak um like I speak at home so anyway um it 
it bothered me and mm -hmm. it stuck with me. And I began to develop more and more of an interest in what actually happens to black and brown people when we go out and do something that, that society tends to think of as a leisurely activity, mm -hmm. you know, shopping, going to the mall, you think of music in the background and browsing and looking at products and, and going to the food court and walking around and, you know, uh, maybe young people flirting with one another, maybe older people flirting with one another, whatever. You're thinking of, you know, these kinds of like uplifting things. And I began to think about for black and brown people after having um, engaged with that experience that I told you about, I began to think about how much more complicated is something as simple as going to the store how much, or going to the mall, how much more complicated might it be for uh, Black and brown people? So tell us a little bit then about what were some of your findings, just some of the, when you, when you interviewed these families or these individuals, yeah. give us a couple of the, the major findings. Yeah. Because we, we also don't want you to give away everything. We want, no, no, want to make I'm sure that gonna, people pick up a copy. I'm not going to give away everything. And you know, initially I was going to approach this as a research project. Um, once I had all of the stories, I was going to analyze them and code them and do what I had been doing for decades in academia. What percent experienced this? What percent experienced that? I was going to break them down into pieces. I was going to write, write a book that's... Um, that's chopped up into topics and then give you excerpts of what the different people said. But the more I began to listen to people and as the more I began to interview people, the more I began to feel like, I don't want to treat this as a research project. I don't want to chop these stories up. I want people to hear these stories just the way that they were told to me. And when I began shopping around for publishers, that became a point of tension, okay? There were several publishers who offered me contracts if I would chop these stories up. And I turned them down because my heart, my spirit said, do not, do not touch these stories. Do not chop these stories up. So I continued to look until I began to find publishers who were, who, who thought the way that I did or were willing to think the way that I did in terms of keeping these stories intact and us finding a way to tell these stories without having to treat them as, as a research project. There were a few major themes that emerged, though, that I can tell you after, you after you have so many interviews and you read the interviews over and over again, there are certain things that are very clear, but there's lots and lots and lots of recurring issues that emerge. But so, so what I'm going to ask you to do, though, because we do have to take a quick okay. break. 
So we're going to take a break and we're going to come back and we're going to talk to Dr. Dunlap and she'll tell us a bit about her findings from retail racism. This is Dr. TLC and we are discussing dismantle racism. Of course, we'll be right back. Do you feel uninformed about menopause and how it impacts on your life? Hi, I'm Pat Duckworth, women's health strategist and host of the Hot Women Rock radio show, empowering women leaders at menopause. Join me every Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern time, 3 p.m. UK time on talkradio.nyc for interviews with inspirational women who will share their top tips to rock your world. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. We are back with Dismantle Racism. I am your host, Dr. TLC, and I have my guest today is Dr. Michelle Dunlap. Before the break, we were talking about Dr. Dunlap's book, Retail Racism. And Dr. Dunlap, if you could just tell us uh, again a little bit more about some of the findings that you discovered from the folks that you interviewed. I know that you have quite a number of stories that you could talk about, but what are one or two of the general themes that came up? Un- unmute yourself, please. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. The themes that I found, and this is how I have the book um, sorted or divided. The first theme is the theme of monitoring, um, constantly feeling like you're being watched and how that impacts us. The second thing would be inequities. That's like you're standing in line and the first, uh, the person in front of you, they get a refund with no ID, no receipt. But then when you come up to the line and it's your turn 
Um, you have to produce, you know, all kinds of ID. You have to have a receipt. You have to go through all of this to get your refund. But the person who just was in front of me, you know, they didn't have anything and you just gave them cash money. And then the third issue would be outright traumas, traumatic events like the one that I described to you that was really the the passion for me doing this book that created this labor of love um, where something is so traumatizing for you as an observer or for the person who's actually experiencing it that it takes you years to get over it if you ever do get over it. Mm. So those are the three major themes. There's other things that come up like um, you go up to the cash register and someone asks you, "Will you? Uh, where's your EBT card? Mm-hmm. And you're like, what happened to debit, credit, or cash? Can you tell um, people what EBT means? Um, electronic benefits uh, transfer card, which would be... Um, a social services type support card, which nothing wrong with that card, but why do you assume that every person of color, that that's the only way that they're paying? That's Mm -hmm. where, that's where the problem comes in when you don't offer a variety of options. You just only say, may I have your EBT card, please? Mm -hmm. So I open up the book with an example of an experience that I had with that and just my delight in pulling out my debit card and how I swiped it, you know, (laughs) so dramatically, you know, and so forth. Um, Just because again, um, not that I'm placing any kind of judgment on EBT cards, it's just the fact of being stereotyped. Right. Um, As all Black people use EBT cards, you Mm. know, and, th- and that's not fair. Most people who use EBT cards are only using them temporarily. Mm-hmm. And, you you know, it, and there's all kinds of ways that people pay. And most users of EBT cards are not Black. Mm-hmm. So, um, so the stereotypes in there um, are really frustrating. Right, right. I hope that helps to give you a sense of the kinds of things, the monitoring, the inequities, the traumas. And then um, I have a section on philosophies. Mm -hmm. And that's where the interviewee, they experienced some of these other three things, but they had a lot to say philosophically about how they put it into perspective, how they fight it, how they put it into a larger context. So I wanted to have a section on philosophies because I felt that all of that, that they were saying was very, very important for us to pay special attention to. Well, I'm sure that your book has so many wonderful gems in it for people of color and also uh, for other folks as well to help us to understand, again, you know, the, the context of what you're saying, how people of color can say how do I get through this lived experience that I'm having? And so the philosophy part is really helping us to figure out how do I get through these daily acts of racism, but also it's important for, uh, you know, whites to know as well what our experiences are so that they can become more conscious of their own actions 
and they can change their behavior, particularly the people who are in the stores. Absolutely. And that would include other consumers. How can they be good allies when they see these things going on? Um, For example, the the white ally who videotaped the Starbucks incident in, in Philadelphia, I believe it was, had that white ally not done that, you you know, the whole movement that happened after that Starbucks incident may not have occurred. Um, so, so my book, it is designed to help those who are experiencing marketplace racism, but it's also designed for the marketers, for really any human being who wants to be more sensitized to the daily experiences of Black and Brown people. Um, and for the victims of it. So it's really designed for anybody. Um, And I believe that it will help sensitize uh, people who do not live our experiences. It will help sensitize them to our experiences and hopefully help them do a better job um, not recreating these kinds of behaviors and Mm -hmm. intervening as allies when they do occur. Yes. And, you know, so you, you, you said so much in, in that piece there that um, I'd love to explore. But one thing in particular, you talked about the trauma. And what are some of the psychological implications of shopping while black and brown? You know, one is this trauma when you when you experience something like this, but another is the trauma of seeing it. Can you talk a little bit about what that trauma looks like? Yes, I'll be happy to. Um, from the those who whom I interviewed and from uh, different articles that I've read in the news and in, in the research literature, but I'm going to speak first from the interviewees, okay? Um, some of the interviewees talked about not being able to sleep, not being able to eat, having to go see a psychiatrist, a therapist, a counselor, having to get on medication, um, uh, being easily triggered again um, in the future, um, not liking to shop anymore. Um, If they have to shop, they just run in, get what they need and run right back out or sending someone else in to do the shopping for them. Um, so those kinds of, those kinds of things, which are so far from the, um, story that we tell ourselves about the marketplace in America, you know, about the malls and about, um, you know, going to the store. I mean, there's even been traumas such as, um, at one really large retailer, someone coming in and shooting up. Uh, the Hispanic people and what a horrible tragedy mm-hmm. for for society, for America, and especially for that community when you're just going to shop and someone just decides they're going to start shooting people because of the color of their skin or because of their ethnicity and so forth. Just think about that, the impact of that. And, and, and one of the things that's occurring to me, even when you're, you're talking about this, I mean, it's so layered because part of the thing that happens, particularly with um, 
I think black and brown people, we get used to experiencing the trauma and it almost becomes the norm for us to be expecting that this is going to happen. And unfortunately, some of us don't get the follow-up treatment that we need as a result of it, because we think, you know, this is just something that I have to deal with. And my recommendation as a, as a, a psychologist, of course, would be, we have to get treatment for this and not see this as the norm. This should not be the norm that we can't go shopping without having to worry about is someone monitoring me. We all do it though. You know, I, I train my kids from when they were little, don't touch this, don't touch that because someone is going to be watching you. And imagine the messages we're sending to our children to say, be careful. You don't want anybody to think that you're stealing anything. We're already setting up this, this sort of expectation that they're going to be monitored because we know it's true that they will be. So there's this little sense of of almost paranoia when you go into the store. But I also want our listening audience to know that there's a difference between that type of, okay, let me make sure nobody thinks I'm stealing anything versus what you've just explained. The trauma of I'm fearful of going in a store, having nightmares about the incident, ruminating over the incident, All of those things that you just mentioned are really, really critical. And so I want our listening audience to know that when you witness things or experience these things, it's important for you to get the help that you need. And so we we are at a point that we're going to have to take a break in just a minute. And I want to just encourage um, our listeners to really be sure to pick up a copy of your book. You'll tell us a little bit at the end how we can get a copy of your book because there's so much information in there that's really going to be valuable to consumers as well as the allies. And so we are going to be right back with Dr. Dunlap discussing retail racism a little bit more. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC, and this is Dismantle Racism. We'll be right back. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc.
Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. We're back with Dismantle Racism. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. My guest today is Dr. Michelle Dunlap, the author of Retail Racism. And Dr. Dunlap, in our uh, last few minutes together, I'd love to have you to read a passage from your book, if you would. Okay. Um, I'm going to read a passage from Alton. Um, of course, the, the names are pseudonyms. Um, uh, taken from people who have been um, unfortunately killed in the past uh, by police or while shopping or while doing something out in the community that they should not have been killed uh, killed for doing. Um, so um, Alton is for Alton Sterling from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, um, who was killed. So this is actually a Reverend Alton. Okay, so Reverend Alton uh, says, I clearly recall a situation where I experienced discrimination while shopping. I can't remember exactly the store, but it was a discount department store right in town. I was, it was in the 90s, somewhere thereabouts that time. It was a store where I like to go and just sort of tool around because of my way of shopping is, is to just go and look around. I'm probably an impulse buyer, but not in a gross way. But I'll look around and see if I find something. And if so, I'll buy it. I like, I like to do that. And that's how I get new things. I was in this store and I was just sort of going through and looking around at different things. And I noticed that I was being followed. And that's not atypical because that is always on my mind as I'm going into the store. It's not atypical in that I'll just presume that's going on and almost at a paranoid level where I know that someone's looking at me somewhere. You just know Black folks know that we are targeted for surveillance when we go into stores. But this time, the person was just so horribly awkward at it. They were not good at all. I would, I would be going down an aisle, and they'd be just sort of trailing me. And I would look up, and I'd see them down in the aisle going around. They were just sort of classless about it, and it offended me that they were just so inept. I think I may have been there after work hours, so I may have had my casual way of dressing, especially during the summer with just sort of a t-shirt and a pair of jeans or something like that. I'm just going through and looking around and I see the person. Usually I can maybe let things go, but I didn't want to just let this go this time. So I went up to the person and without cussing or anything, I said, look, 
Will you do me a favor? If you're going to follow me around, at least be good about it. I can chuckle about it now, but at that time, my tone was, can you just hide a little better or something? Actually, to be more specific, what I did was I went up and introduced myself to him. See, this is a way I'll handle things. I said, look, my name is Reverend Elton. I'm a chaplain at a local facility. I'm not here trying to steal anything because that is not anything that I have on my mind. And if you're going to follow me, at least do it a little better because it's just embarrassing both for you and for me. In reaction, in reaction to being followed, I was presenting to him my annoyance around it. Some weeks later, it turned out that the guy was a deacon at a church I had been invited to preach at. It was an all white congregation and all and a, and a good time of fellowship. I finished my sermon and thought no more about it, but he saw me. And afterwards, when we met, he said, Reverend, I am so embarrassed, but I was embarrassed also. I initially was a black man in the store who's going to steal everything. That's it. That's just an excerpt from a much longer um, interview that I had with Reverend uh, Alton, but it gives you some idea of the things that the interviewees had to the interviewees had to say, and I want you to know that I offer a preference, a preface, a rather long introduction, contextualizing um, all of this, and then I offer an introduction to each section, each of those four sections, and then I offer an introduction to each interview, each of the 19 interviews. And then in between all of that, we have photos, we have art, we have poetry from poets and spoken word, word artists all over the country. Um, so it's, it's quite diverse in how mm. the story is told across mm. the entire book. Well, you know, I thank you actually for sharing that. It really took me down memory lane of when I've been followed in a store and, or when I've been conscious that I've been followed because there could be other times. And, you know, ironically, one of the times wasn't until after I had gotten out of the store, I was in a coach store and I was really just looking at the calendar refills that they had. And so I had looked at, at the uh, calendar refill and there was a security guard there who was, who was watching me, but I didn't realize it at the time. And then, so I go over, I pay for it. And then I had a second thought, went back over to look at the calendars again, noticed he was right next to me. And then when I walked out of the store, he walked back to the front of the store and it wasn't until after I thought, did you just follow me to see if I'm going to steal a calendar? The store isn't that big. So you can see me from wherever you're posted. And then the, I think the other upsetting thing, it was a person of color. I was like, man, so they, 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 they really train all employees. And sometimes as a person of color, we're not even conscious that, look, they're telling you to target the folks of color. Um, and so I really appreciate you telling these stories because again, I think that the stories will be very beneficial to your readers. I think for BIPOC people who are reading your book is not only is it a sense of uh, helping us just to understand 
the process that we go through psychologically. Uh, But it also validates our experiences because we also know that people will often say, oh, that just happened to you because X, Y, and Z. But no, this is letting us know that this is something that's quite common. And I also appreciate your book from the perspective of it will help the employer, the owners of these companies, et cetera, to understand how we can do a better job. I want to really just um, thank our listeners today and hope that they will go out and get a copy of your book. So can you tell us how we can get a copy of your book? Yes. Um, It's available for pre-order. It comes out next month, mid-August. It'll be um, actually physically here. They're right now binding the covers to the actual book itself, the the publisher, Roman and Littlefield. Um, So it's available um, through Roman and Littlefield, which is R-O-W-M-A-N. Um, not R-O-M, but R-O-W-M-A-N, Roman and Littlefield Publisher. So you can go to their website and pre-order it, or you can go to Amazon. It's on Amazon as well. I also want to let you know that um, that I made a, a con- contractual agreement with the publisher um, as part of my contract when we were negotiating my contract that um, any royalties that I earn Um, from this book, that 20% of those royalties go to an educational foundation. So um, 20% of the royalties will go to the Florida Education Fund in Tampa, Florida, which helps to ensure educational opportunities for underrepresented um, young people and and young adults um, who are seeking higher education. So um, I'm very proud of that. I'm proud of being able to help support them. But it's really the the interviewees, it's the storytellers who are really helping to support uh, the Florida Education Fund. It's really you all, the community, that's helping to support the Florida Education Fund. So Um, So I really um, wanted to be able to do something as a thank you to the people who so bravely told their stories. And that's my thank you to them is um, making sure that 20% of any royalties that I get go to the Florida Education Fund. Well, Dr. Dunlap, thank you so much. It's been a joy to have you on the show. I am so grateful to all the listeners. And I want to invite you, if you want to uh, know more or you want about uh, the courses that I offer on Dismantle Racism, please go to my website, sacredintelligence.com. I have a number of classes there that you can uh, take part in. If you want to know more about Dr. Dunlap, please go to Connecticut College's website and um, you can find out a little bit more about her. Please do stay tuned for the Conscious Consultant Hour with Sam Leibowitz, which is coming up right after my show. And Dr. Dunlap, if you would, could you offer us a blessing just to end the show? Yes, I'm I'm happy to do that. Uh, I, I wrote it just for this. Okay, may our dealings with others reflect more and more the eternal love of the great and mighty hands that created the universe and set all the goodness in it into motion. 
and included that goodness and its potential in our hearts. May we give this love, see this love, experience this, feel this, and know this from the simplest to the most complex interactions that we have with one another. Love wins. Thanks so much. We'll see you next time on Dismantle Racism. Be well. Thank you, Father. Did you know that nearly one in five adults in the U.S. battles mental illness? Hi, my name is Albert Dabba. I'm the host of the show Extra Inning. Extra Innings, I discuss the topics of wellness, mental health, and the experience of surviving multiple suicides within my family. Listen live every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern to Extra Innings for discussions with sports figures, artists, mental health professionals, and many others. That's Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Hi, I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Wise Content Creates Wealth. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Friday afternoon from 1 p.m. to 2. They say content is king. Well, wise content rules the world. Every episode features tools and tips for content marketing and business people telling the wise content stories of that success. Tune in every Friday from 1 p.m. to 2 on talkradio.nyc. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Have you ever thought of reinventing yourself? Are you looking to create a new life's journey? Hi, I'm Kevin Barbaro, host of Coffee Talk XL every Tuesday night, live, 8 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live to hear me and my guests from a variety of different backgrounds. As a former college coach and a current full-time actor and owner of multiple companies, my show is as eclectic as my life. That's Coffee Talk XL every Tuesday night, 8 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower.